It was a very nice spring day in May of 2019. A pastor friend of mine who preaches at a church in Chesapeake, Virginia, asked me to come down and give the Word of God to his congregation. So at 2.30 on a Friday morning, my wife and I arose and we headed down to Grand Rapids to get on an American Airlines flight to go to Chesapeake, Virginia. I had aptly called this trip the Chesapeake Invasion. We went down, got down there on a on a Friday. On Saturday, we did a Bible study, preached on Sunday, and then my wife and I shared our testimonies on a Wednesday night service. I come across the notes of one of the sermons today that I was going to do down there and the original recording to it has been lost due to several unforeseen circumstances one of them being that the phone I recorded it on the screen went black on it so I am going to re-preach this sermon today that was one of the ones that was used in the Great Chesapeake Invasion of 2019 do bow your heads with me, Father. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to hear this sermon again, that you give me the opportunity to preach this sermon again, Lord. I thank you that you give us uh, the chance to go down there, to meet these people, to preach to these people, to witness to these people, and to pray with these people. And I pray, Lord, that, that many of them, through this sermon and through the words that were given down there, have come to a saving knowledge of your son Jesus Christ in whose blood and whose name we pray amen Romans 10:21 says but all of Israel he says all day long i have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people Paul had wrote a rather lengthy letter to the church at Rome he addressed many many topics in this letter to help them on their way on their journey of faith in Romans chapter 10, Paul tells them how the salvation process happens. I implore you to listen to the steps Paul lays out and ask yourself if these steps are hard to accomplish. Paul said in order for a person to be saved, God must first send a preacher. When we hear the word preacher, we get an image of a man in a black robe or a white ruffled stole, Bible held overhead, God's word thundering forth. Or perhaps a minister with a short sleeve, white, pressed, button-up shirt with a black tie that barely extends past his sternum, wiping the perspiration from his head with a white handkerchief as he agonizes through his sermon. The fact of the matter is God can use whomever or whatever he chooses to preach his word. He can use men that look like the men previously mentioned. He can use a donkey. He can even use me or you. Secondly, when God wishes a person to be saved, the word of God, his word, will get to them. God will call from the four corners of the earth, from under every rock and behind every tree. God's call will come through the stars of the sky in the dawn of a new day. The smile of a stranger and the cry of a baby. When the call for a man to submit to God's calling comes, man cannot run. Sooner or later, God's call will be answered. His word will go forth to the ears of the hearer. Thirdly, the person must hear God's call. 
they must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth with power and authority. The word must go through the ears, penetrating to the depths of the sinner's heart of stone. The word must cut deep into the marrow of the bones, bringing the sinner face to face with his crimes against God that he has committed. Bringing the sinner to the point where he understands if he were to die today, he would die in his sin. He would die the death of an unregenerate sinner and be destined for God's eternal punishment. Fourthly, the person must believe the gospel message. They must see their sin, see their crimes against a holy God. They must believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one, no one may come to the Father except through him, that Jesus Christ's death upon the cross paid the debt owed to God for sin in full. And finally, the hearer must cry out to God in repentance, cry out to God for forgiveness of sin, calling upon the grace and mercy of an almighty and holy God to forgive them of their transgressions against him, forgive them of their sin. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? If it were as simple as it sounds, if the road to salvation were merely a decision that we could make in haste, a simple prayer of sorrow, and then off to try to live a good life, all of Israel would be saved. Every last one of them. So why isn't all of Israel saved? Why have they not cried out to the Lord? Why do they not believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ? The answer is found in Romans 9. Paul wrote, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, that stumbling stone being Jesus Christ. The Jews, Israel, thought they could keep the law without the need for a Savior, they pursued the law as a means to righteousness, but never reached the law in their pursuit. They did not pursue the law by faith, but through works. By doing works, Israel established their own righteousness, and in doing so, saw no need for Jesus Christ. The Jewish people had fallen into the age-old trap of trying to work their way to righteousness, working their way to heaven. For those of you who are hearing my voice, I tell you today, you will never work your way to salvation. Despite what many of our Catholic friends tell you, despite what many of your Jewish friends tell you, despite what anyone of any denomination tells you regarding salvation and your ability to work your way to heaven, it will not happen. You will stumble over the stumbling stone. You will be tripped up and fall face to face with the reality that in order to be saved, you must kneel before the cross of Jesus Christ. Any serious study of God's holy word will bring you face to face, nose to nose, with the Savior of men. From the Old Testament through to the New Testament, Jesus Christ is in every chapter, every sentence, every word, and every letter. Every letter of Scripture points the reader to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. There's only one way to heaven, only one way to God, and it is through the Son of God Scripture points you to. When the Messiah died upon the cross, he fulfilled the law. His death was the end of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant, a covenant sealed with the blood of Christ. The end of the law, the beginning of grace, grace through the death of Christ. Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way, and righteousness will belong to all who through faith have placed their trust in Christ. God doesn't require superhero works. 
He doesn't require you to read the entire Bible every year, volunteer seven days a week at a local charity, or be the gopher for the widowed neighbor lady. You don't have to hold a church office or be the most pious person on your block. While all of these actions are good on their own, while they are actions that, as James said, will show your faith through your works, you will not be saved by them. The good news of Jesus Christ, when proclaimed by one whom God sent, you hearing and believing the proclaimed word, you calling out repentance to God through the blood of Christ will bring about salvation. There is no other way. So here, at this point in history, we stand, in Chesapeake, Virginia, in God's house. Have you been truly saved? Does your life show the saving grace of God? Have you been transformed by the blood of Christ? Or do you stand here today before God and everyone as a spiritual Jew, a spiritual Israelite, one who is trying to work their way to heaven, leaving any form of repentance, any form of righteousness, maybe even Jesus Christ himself in the dust? You, trying to do as you've done throughout your earthly life, trying to get to heaven, trying to obtain your reward on your own. There are many truly sincere people out there who try their hardest daily to serve God. They do everything they can think of to work their way into heaven. By doing so, they fail to submit their lives to God's plan. They nullify the death of Christ, placing the payment for sin upon their own backs, on their own righteousness, on their own goodness. Because deep down, we're all good people, right? Paul answered this question quoting Psalms in Isaiah. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then he finishes up with this thought. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how righteous you think you are, no matter how holy you think you are, minus Jesus Christ, you are nothing. You are merely a religious-minded sinner destined for eternal punishment. Yes, you have heard me correctly. Without Jesus, without you truly believing in him, without your devotion to him, you will get the same punishment as one who has never stepped foot in a church one second of their life. You must believe in Jesus Christ. You must believe the good news, the gospel of Christ. You must believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. You must believe that he has paid the entire debt for sin and that you cannot in one way help to alleviate that cost. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. It is because of him you are no longer bound by the law. The law was never designed as a play-by-play -play set of rules to live by. The law was designed to point the sinner forward to Christ in the Old Testament and back to Christ in the New. It was designed to show us that no matter how good we think we are, we are truly wicked inside. Jesus called the scribes and Pharisees out on such a behavior when he said, For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, 
First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean. If you do not see the need for a Savior, if you choose instead to diminish the work of Christ upon that cross and do the work yourself, the truth of the situation is simple. You have refused Christ. You have refused salvation through Christ. You refuse the reward given to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And as such, you have accepted the fate of the sinner, an eternity away from the presence of God, eternal punishment. Faith can never be head knowledge. Merely knowing of Jesus is not a qualifying action for the reward of the Christian. Muslims know of Jesus, but as a prophet, and not as a son of the Most High God. And as such, they will not inherit the promises of God. Faith cannot survive, and a true believer is merely intelligent agreement. Uh, yes, I know, Jesus' kind of attitude. Such an intelligent argument will not, cannot, stand up to the storms life will send our way. Faith must be an inward conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that his death, his burial, and resurrection paid the price for sin and finalized the law. Faith must know that Jesus ascended back up to heaven, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, there with the law accomplished, with the keys to death, hell, and the grave captured, the debt for sin paid, God's people redeemed, he shall rule and reign forever. Amen. So today I ask you this, as Paul stated about the Jews, all day long God has held out his hand to a disobedient and contrary people. Are you one? Has your life been full of religious zeal, sincere devotion to God, but lacking Jesus Christ? Have you been trying your entire life to be the person through good works that you see others are being through faith? Has your life been lived worshiping God, but nullifying Christ? I need you. I implore you to think hard about these words I've spoken. Where will you place your trust, your faith in the life to come? Will you place it upon your own works? A trust in something, someone, the Bible calls wicked and corrupt? Or will you, this day, place your faith in the free grace offered by God through Jesus Christ? A free grace offered to you that cost God mightily. A free grace that cost God his Son and Jesus Christ his life. Don't allow the Son to set this day on you with God's hands outstretched to you, a disobedient and contrary person. Reach out to God as he reaches out to you. Repent of your sins today and put your faith in Jesus Christ, for it is through him, in him alone, that you'll be saved. Amen. Father, I thank you that you brought this sermon back to see the light of day, Lord, that I was able to record it today, that I'm able to get it out to the masses in a wider spectrum than just that small church, that now this can be heard around the world, and hopefully you see it as a tool to use to glorify your son, Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it is that Christ, in his blood, and his name, through which we pray. Amen.